0: Lectionary Lab Live is recorded by Two Bubbles and a Bible live from Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. everybody to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey Bubba.
1: Hey Bubba.
0: Hey man. Good to hear from you today. We're going to talk some texts and think about preaching. For the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, these are the texts for July the 26th, 2020. Whether you are in some form of live worship or you're pre-recording, you're virtual or whatever, it's still these great texts and there are great ideas, lots to sift through this week. And um, let's just get started talking about them. What do you got on your mind this week?
1: Well, I was going to say that the uh, two bubbas uh, are fully in in sync with people working in the parish these days. John's been doing an interim for a while, and I started one this week. And as a Lutheran at a Presbyterian church, so I'm a learning learning a few things, and one of them is how to do the service on Wednesday that won't be put online on available to people till Sunday to an empty congregation and. Okay, well, we'll stop now. Now you can move over here. Let's reset this. Uh,
0: <laughs> Welcome uh, to COVID worship or worship in the coronavirus era. It is really uh, stretching us. We had no idea how long we've been doing uh, this. But,
1: and responses yeah. are interesting to, you know, in the places where it calls for responses and you just pause and do your hands and Say it by yourself and hope people (laughs) respond. uh, You act as
0: if. That's a phrase I learned years ago in another setting. You go ahead and act as if, as if the house were full. That's what I tell my people each week. We broadcast live, but it's still in an empty sanctuary. And said, look, now you look at right there into that camera, but in your mind, you got to see all the people that are usually (laughs) gathered here because they're all sitting out there watching through their computer or their television or their smartphone or something.
1: So, yep. yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm with you. So <laughs> I just, just know that this week, man, uh, July 26th. Uh, it's interesting to note that the, um, these texts were not picked to go together thematically. Uh, particularly if you're using the uh, semi-continuous reading for Hebrew scriptures that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got the gospel with the pairing of the treasure and the pearl and stumbling upon it and giving all to have it is interesting to me that though these weren't picked thematically, it does flip over back over. You can play with that in relation to um, Jacob stumbling upon Rachel and giving fourteen years of his life to have her, he met her, and he, he and it, you know, he was willing to give all. So there's a, there's an if you're, I would say if you're preaching the Hebrew, the the gospel lesson, you could re, and have read that Hebrew scripture lesson. You could refer to that as an example of someone who gives up their all something i thought that was a that's about the only thematic response connection i can find today and i like to do that if you're going to read them all but um romans is a great exploration of finding or stumbling upon or being found by god See that that, and we'll come back to that. But Romans has that whole called and predestined and all of that, and so you've got this whole thing of you're the pearl, in almost mm, yeah, we are the pearl of great price, and God has found us.
0: So yeah. one could weave, um, if not a complete tapestry, one could at least weave uh, a thread connecting these passages what it
1: means to be found Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that's a i'm just saying as you read these if you want to read them all there is that connectivity that sometimes is important and with romans the question is how do we respond to our foundness all how do we respond to our foundness, particularly in romans you know it's one thing to sit and say i've been called and predestined and nothing can separate me And the question becomes, then how do we respond to that? We did nothing to earn it, but how do we respond to it? Mm -hmm. And how do we live it out? And I think that's a good question that comes up in all these texts. So those are kind of my initial thoughts as you begin to look over these texts that there's this lost and foundness that runs through all of them and some themes of how do you respond when you find that what you're looking for or how do you respond when you realize you've been found by God?
0: Yep. Sounds good, man.
1: Let's walk our way through them. Let's go into Genesis 29, 15 through 28. Uh, One commentator observed that this is a text that reminds us that to enter the Bible is to enter a strange world. Indeed. To enter the Bible is to enter a strange world. And it was even strange to the person who wrote down... genesis which i'm presuming there was a lot of oral history that pres- preceded that mm-hmm. and even the text itself as you look through it how far back what happened with abraham and isaac and jacob is removed from what happened with the at the end of the saga with joseph and then you there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, that indicates a long time. Mm -hmm. Then you have this whole sequence. Then you have them into the wilderness. Then you have all of that happening. Then you have Israel. And then you have oral tradition. Then you have
0: a lot of time. going. A lot of time
1: passes between that. And so even the first people who were meditating on these stories, this was a different world. Just be aware of that, that there, if you feel like this doesn't, you don't have, we're not in the 21st century trying to imitate something that happened four or 5,000 years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. we're just not there. Okay. So uh, this is really interesting. And just one example of the strangeness, even to the first listeners is Leviticus chapter 18 has some prohibitions against certain relationships, including oh, you can't marry two sisters. You can't marry
0: two sisters.
1: Yeah. But this is before the law. And so he did. And though it's never banned in the scriptures, these were his first cousins. (laughs) Trace it out. His mother, Rebecca, is Laban's sister. Sister. And so when Jacob runs away, has to get out of town, he goes to his relatives, which you got to do because, you know, there's not, you got to go somewhere safe. Laban takes him in. And so he looks around and these are some good looking girls.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And he ends up, so the Bible, it says, it's an odd story. Just know that. well
0: and to your point yes it's a strange and different world so that's a that's a warning right off the shot as you rightfully yeah. said look we can't go pick up that culture of four or five thousand years ago and try to set it down right no. here and i'm sorry you 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 if we're not on you are right near a favorite hobby horse of mine <laughs> which is uh coming out of a background of of strict biblical literalism. And what that really often meant was someone saying, my interpretation of the Bible is the one that should be literal. And every time I hear someone and I understand where they're coming from, and they say, well, we need to get back to a biblical definition of marriage. And this is one of the passages I love to bring up. And say, oh, is it this biblical, biblical definition b- of marriage you're talking about? Right. Oh well. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. and I'm not trying to jump on anybody's no, ideas no, no, no. about about marriage or or anything else. Be careful, preachers, how right. you use the text. Be respectful yeah. of the context, and let's let it do its work.
1: So, yeah, I, I thought about this when this story when I was reading and thinking about this at the Lutheran Seminary and Worship class. That we we spent a lot of time talking about all worship should glorify God and edify the believer. You know, those were Good the two going. things you were working on. And and never uh, emphasized one or the other, and it wanted a nice balance. So uh, the idea came up, and I'm not sure from whom, a couple of years before I came to the seminary, they had this big Latin candle mass in this in the chapel and the word got out that there's going to be this great service and so some of the traditional Catholics and traditional Anglicans who like that sort of thing uh, heard about it and showed up so instead of the 30 or 40 students they thought were going to be parading around the chapel carrying candles and all that sort of thing in various processions and things they ended up with several, maybe a couple of hundred, it was packed, Mm -hmm. and so they did the procession the way they were going to, and suddenly they got back to this area right around where the altar and the the, uh, baptismal font, where they were supposed to cross over, and there was gridlock. There was nobody could move. It was just (laughs) stuck, and they couldn't figure out what to do, and the librarian at the seminary was famous for just being sarcastic as he could be. Doctor Fritz, we all love Doctor Fritz, but you know he he would scorch the earth with his wit sometimes. And uh, my friend Julian was the leading, trying to lead this procession. He was an acolyte. He was leading, helping lead the procession. And he gets there and he's stuck up against Doctor Fritz going the other way. Doctor Fritz looked at him and says, "Well, Mister, are you finding this very edifying?" And that was one of those stories we would tell when somebody would come up with this great idea for this splendiferous yeah. worship service. We would all imitate Dr. Fritz and say, "Yes, but do you find this very edifying?" <laughs> and uh, when I read this text, the question is, where is the edification for the believer? Mm-hmm. It's hard to find. There's no Victorian moral in this story. There's no easy to point to thing to imitate a saint. You've got Jacob falling in love, and you know, the one thing you can say is he devoted himself to forgetting the woman <laughs> he loved, and Laban, this story of uh, of fooling him, and, and it's kind of like he gets his comeuppance. I've heard that a time or two. You know, it mm-hmm. couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, kind of thing. One thing to know is, he did get Rachel after the first seven years. The week there is after the week of festivities. I'll let you have her, but you still have to work for seven years. The other yeah. thing is, just to be fair, is that he came there homeless and with nothing, and he ends up leaving there and a lot—two wives, lots of kids, and a lot of property. So you know, there's this this piece to pay, pay attention to. One of the little questions on this text is Leah's eyes question of the translation. Nobody can quite figure out what they were saying about Leah's eyes. Um, Some people say it means they were weak, they were tender, they were delicate. I had a professor at the Baptist Seminary in in Wake Forest, North Carolina, who said she was (laughs) cross-eyed. Others say they were lovely, they were tender. Others say they were no sparkle. Nobody's quite sure what they were saying depends on whether you want to say Leah was not attractive and Rachel was, or they were differently attractive. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so here's the, I think the main point for me, as you follow this, if, if, if you're going to preach this text, it would be best if you've been preaching the whole cycle. Yes. And this is a story that continues the story of going from Abraham to the 12 tribes, because Between Leah and Rachel and a couple of concubines, that's the birth of the twelve. That's the twelve tribes. In the next chapter, you find this one had this boys and this one had these boys and this one and one of them had a girl, so there's 13 children, but there's twelve tribes, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's what this text drives forward for us in the story of Israel.
0: Absolutely. That's about
1: what I got.
0: Well, and you, and you lead into a good point I want to make, because I am preaching this cycle, and a couple of things that are foundational to this, and they help, especially on a week like this, we have said that each story does, in a way, stand on its own. You You can gain, and I've got some ideas about what about this story might be helpful to us, but they all tie together and and there's a larger arc here and on this particular sunday it's going to be helpful to lean on that larger arc of uh, what's going on uh, from story to story to story and even beyond that to lean on the purpose of the entire book of genesis it is genesis for a reason it is about beginnings. It is about foundations. It is about um, a, a we usually think it's about the creation of the world that that we get our uh, beginning story, Genesis from that, but we're watching the creation of a family, of a dynasty of the fulfillment of God's covenant that through one man and through this man's family, all families. All nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So you've got some real overarching issues uh, to lean on there. I want to situate this. This is now going to be the third of four stories that concern Jacob. And we have seen that underneath the book of Genesis, uh, one of the ways you can structure it is according to the the Hebrew word, the told the, uh, these are the generations. Genesis, even the creation said, these are the g- generations of the heavens and the earth. These are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of Abraham. And now we're seeing these are the, we're going to get to these are the generations of Jacob, who's about to get his name changed to Israel. So we, and you helped us see this early on, there is something in the Jacob stories around the idea of struggle. Okay, Jacob is a struggling character. And so we saw he was introduced, uh, Jacob and his twin brother Esau struggling in the womb of their mother, Rebekah. And we saw those two struggling or haggling or uh, sparring or wrestling with one another over the birthright. Uh, then we saw Jacob running uh, away and spending the night, and what I sort of have taken as seeing the internal struggle that Jacob at this point in his life is having with himself, and we got the vision of the stairway to heaven, and the angels ascending and descending, and there's God standing at the top speaking, and Jacob wakes up and goes, dude, that was awesome. I guess God was here. And sort of the dawning of this awareness in in his life. Now we see Jacob, the struggler, the haggler, the trickster, finally meeting his match in his Uncle Laban. And you get to see a little bit of this. You know, we talk about... Yeah, uh, that must have been from your mama's side of the family. You, you get to see a little bit of this nature. And in the struggle with Laban, Jacob finally meets his match, and he loses for the first yeah. time. He's like the undefeated champion of the world in tricking his way, speaking his way, smiling that smile. We saw that Jacob was quiet and he liked to be at home and he was used to dealing with people compared to his rougher brother. And here's where I'm going. If we realize that, if we realize this cycle, we've got one more significant story about Jacob and it's going to come next week when Jacob finally wrestles or haggles or struggles with God God face-to-face. When you think about all of these as a a progression, if you will, they are snapshots, and we're watching Jacob along the journey of his life and the journey of his experience with God. That is what allows me to say for today, you know, we are all on a journey. And the connection becomes we are all progressing through our lives, we're all progressing through relationships, and we are all progressing in our relationship with God. No single day or time or episode in our lives completely defines who we are in in this life or in our relationship with God. Now it's not hard to take that and expand it in COVID and race relations right. and everything else that we got going
1: yeah. on. Right? We're, we're we're in the middle of a struggle. And we it's a are long struggle, and we, unlike a, a half-hour sitcom where the conflict <laughs> arises is resolved and everybody's sitting around the couch enjoying each other at the end of the show until next week when another conflict comes up. This is a mini-series or a long series in which every, it's moving slowly through the longer story, and there's episodes that are unresolved in that's many, it. many ways. And, and, and as you've our already, lives are more like that. We, that's we it. Our characters we, develop.
0: We have to realize that. And as preachers, we have to realize it is not always possible to tie everything up in one right. sermon with a nice, neat package no. with a bow on top. And sometimes you have to leave that trajectory moving forward. So we are on a journey. A second idea that I'm toying around with is that we sometimes learn when we lose. Yeah. And so Jacob's winning streak comes to an end here. And I'll try not to lapse into too many sports metaphors. But um, Jacob has a hard experience. He is finally bested, which you could argue we all need because we all experience those times in life the way I thought I would should handle this situation. Boy, that didn't work out too well. And so, uh, you know, coach speak fellows, there aren't so, any losses. They're just lessons. How do we go on from here?
1: Well, you know, I, I had, uh, right across a picture of my granddaddy from the early fifties in his overalls old farmer with the white tan line and all of that. And I remembered something he would say to him. The boys. There were three grandsons and two granddaughters, and I know. I think he said it to the girls as much too, but I know he said it to us. You know, on the farm, there's a lot of ways to mess up. You know, particularly mm-hmm. if you're you're supposed to help with the with the farming, and you can mess some things up. And I did. We did, and Daddy was was would get kind of upset with us, and Grandpa would stand there, and after Daddy walked off, he'd say, "Now, son, what did we learn from this?" Mm-hmm. Over and over. Now, son, what did we learn from this? Yeah. And I, we would talk about it. And that that's something I took from my granddaddy and tried to use with my sons. I think they remember it. Yeah. They'd make a big mistake, and instead of yelling, I'd say, okay, well, and if you, what did we learn from this? Yeah,
0: what did we learn? And if you follow the Jacob story, he yeah. does learn. He learns from Okay, us. he learns to back off a little bit. He learns a little humility. And, and okay. now he's still going to be cunning, and he... <laughs> the end he's still going to get the best of uncle laban but that's not our point for today the third thing i would say and i I, i'm resistant to try to turn it into three points and a, you know a prayer kind of thing but i have to do something with the fact that in the end we learn that it is love that guides our actions and so one of the things that helps jacob swallow his defeat and learn his lesson is just as verse 18 points out. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I'll serve seven years for your younger daughter, and he does. He has to keep his word. He picks up the second wife along the way, and as you point out, he has to finish the week with Leah, and then he gets Rachel, but he's still got to serve, and so uh, this is, one could say, at least a touch on the fact that You know in the end love does direct us it may not direct us in the right way but it does direct us and and so there's a there's a a stream or a theme of love going on here um so i would not i'm not going to push to tie it all up nice and neat I'm i'm not arguing for an ending that says and just remember love conquers all and, and send us out like that because there's, there's still a lot of mess to go through here and Jacob is not finished he's not right re- we're catching him every one of these episodes has been a sort of a turning point or at least a mile post a marker for Jacob uh, yeah, along the journey. I think
1: what we're one of the things we're saying is it's important not to preach this in isolation correct it's important to say where is this is a story about where jacob is in his spiritual journey and he's not there yet he's had a not couple of an, an intense experience mm-hmm. but just like the text never mentions god most of the time jacob awareness of god's leading or presence i think it. like it's import, one of the important things with god not being mentioned in the text he's there everybody's operating on that level Mm-hmm. But the larger picture is that God has been in the midst of it, even when they didn't know God was there. And we that's end up it. with the 12 tribes of Israel out of this sense that's it. And that Jacob is moving forward into becoming a patriarch. I want to move to the Psalm and I'll just briefly with the Psalm, this entire Psalm one, one Oh five, one through 45 is a, a review of Jewish Israel and, and salvation history, you know, it, it goes through that, and um, it's that kind of psalm, and we pick up 1 through 11 because that brings those verses of 9 and 10, Thou God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this psalm calls for two, theme is two things, the faithfulness of God throughout, and that's the one of the things I want to pick up. In the, Even when Jacob is not acknowledging God, God is present. That's it. The faithfulness of God. And the second one is the gradual transfiguration of the people from a wandering tribe into the people of God. And that applies to us as well as we find ourselves gradually transformed and transfigured from wandering individuals searching for something into a part of the, the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew likes to put it. That's it. So, moving and from that's that,
0: gonna, that's going to lead us. Are you doing Romans next?
1: I, well, I can do either one.
0: Well, I'm going to say let's do yeah. Matthew. Okay, we'll do Matthew, and I'll uh, I'll hold on to Romans. No, oh, well, let's and, do and Romans, and you Roman.
1: it was you tell me what it was leading you to. Well, See how leads, carefully scripted we do this. Yeah, what, that's God? it.
0: We like I have no idea where he's going. I guess I'll ask yeah. him. Um, well, your your point that you just made about God working, whether we're aware of it or not. Or in this case, whether God is actually mentioned in the particular text we have for the day goes right smack in the middle of this great Romans passage and uh, things God at work in all things uh, for those who, you know, called according to God's purpose. I mean, God is doing all this stuff. We're not in control or charge and we don't direct God. And I heard someone once time, a preacher one time, talk about our ability to bind God to God's promises. When we can pray and God has promised, we are binding God to act. And I'm going,
1: (laughs) you know, uh, Jacob tried to wrestle with God. That didn't work out too good. (laughs) Tried to bind him, tried to to throw him for a three count. That didn't happen. So anyhow. Yeah. Well, moving moving into that, you know, this is a favorite text at Roman uh, at, at Lutheran funerals, at least, you know, uh, particularly because of nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God mm-hmm. in Christ. So it's read at a lot of funerals. It's it sort of worked itself into various pieces of the liturgy as we pray on that day, you know, whether the text is read or not. Um, it's a it's a text as as you say, it lets us know that God is present with us. Mm-hmm throughout whatever's going on, whether we acknowledge God's presence or not, God is active there. Uh, The line likewise, uh, the very first word, um, some texts use other language, but likewise or to or also uh, is another reference to the Spirit because in the same way, it refers us back to verse 23 in which it talks about what the Spirit does. So this is saying, and also the Spirit does this other thing, so we're moving into the spirit. What's interesting to me here, uh, another piece is this is a Trinitarian text without naming the Trinity that the Holy Spirit three times God, eight times Christ, five times plus a variety of pronouns. Mm-hmm. so it's just moving back and forth and using in in an untheologically systematic way. Making reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, although it never uses the word Father, it uses the word God there. But it's it's a, a beginning point of trying to figure out how we experience God in Christ, in the Spirit, and in the Creator, and how all of this works together. That's a interesting thing. Uh, salvation is not sudden. But ongoing, and this is very interesting because this is Paul and Paul is usually the person we trace back to his Damascus road and then sort of make this thing a big conversion event, but even mm-hmm. even in paul 's writing about how gradually God works and god 's working, and sometimes we become aware of it suddenly and sometimes we become aware of it gradually right. or we are in in sequence various places. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about looking back, he could see the places God had been active, where when he was going through that, he thought he was just operating on his own. Mm -hmm. And then he can look back and see where God was present every turn. I think that you might want to look around, uh, and I think it's surprised by Joy, his autobiography, he talks about that as a good, might be an illustration if you want to talk on this, because this is really a text about trying to sort out what does it mean that God's got you God's got you That's in it's God's hands it. and and it, it's not definitive it's meditative to me he keeps thinking of all these ways in which these other us mm-hmm. because God's got us it's unfortunate to use this to go too far in the issue of predestination you know this is this is my argument as a good Lutheran I would say God will predestine the ones whom God saves because God saves and we do nothing to deserve it I am not going to go and those who don't get saved God predestines to hell I will say it's their own fault <laughs> I don't know how that works out <laughs> but I'm going to put a tribute to God people going to hell but Let me know this, how
0: that plays in your Presbyterian church. Yeah, and, well, uh, we'll, I don't,
1: see. I, I, we'll <laughs> see. But what, what I'm really working on here, and I yeah. think all of us work on, is how do you balance the ambiguity of the notion that God, we don't save ourselves, God mm-hmm. saves us. And yeah. we can look around and see that there are people that at the moment don't look like it, you know? And that, that's why we this text helps us put all of that in God's hands mm-hmm. and think about ourselves. The perseverance of the saints is in here. You know, nothing's going to separate us. It's just a I'm powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And this question of all things work for good, this is one that gets us people in trouble. You have to be very careful how this gets interpreted. Correct. Both from the Greek into English and otherwise, it does not say God does all things for good. Mm-hmm. It says God works in all things for good things happen and and you know some people want god to be in control of whether you get up and when you walk out you know and fall down the steps
0: oh god that to happen
1: and therefore what am i supposed to learn from this as opposed to human agency we might fall down but somewhere in the midst of our recovery and all that god can work for good and does work for good in the circumstances of our life, which is a different at thing.
0: That's it. And preachers, this is a great place. If you have the ability, do a little work in that original language. Get your mind wrapped around what's going on here with the Greek word that almost directly translates into English. We had a to cognate today synergy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, synergy, which was a a well overused word not too many years ago in uh, business and et cetera, et cetera. But it's a good word. Things working together, things cooperating. And as you said, things happen. God is in the midst. God works with and things work. God is working for good in the midst of all these things that are happening. So, yeah, do your work and get comfortable with what's going on in that phrase.
1: And I just would say I love the image of Paul, you know, dictating this with a with a with someone writing it. And I I think on 38 and 39, he got really warmed up. <laughs> and if you need something to end the sermon on God's present and will not let you go, just quote these. Just texts. let
0: it go, man. You. Don't I am
1: persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Our hymn is
0: now. If y'all need the Reverend Delmo do right to come preach a revival for you, the number to call is BR.
2: <laughs>
1: I,
0: I am capable of all
1: sorts of things I shouldn't do. All right, <laughs> the gospel lesson is Matthew 13 31 through 33. Take a little skip 44 to 52. one what I want to Say, is as you look at this text, first of all, it is unlikely in my mind that Jesus stood there and spouted off six analogies for the kingdom of heaven in a row. Yeah, I think Matthew, you're putting this together. I doesn't say that Jesus didn't say them, but I think in putting Mm -hmm. them together, he puts them together. And then once you get that idea in your head, then you say he artfully put them together Mm -hmm. and paired them so that he could talk to people. About what it meant to be the king, you know, for the kingdom.
0: This is not and, a transcript of a press no, conference no. Jesus gave one day or a sermon. No. He's yeah, he's collecting the material.
1: He's collecting the material, and so he's got these parables, and they pair up. There are six analogies, of and, and three sets of two, 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 mm-hmm. that have mm-hmm. something in common. So you start with the kingdom of heaven like a mustard seed sowing. Smallest of all seeds, but it becomes a great bush. And the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Woman took mixed in with three measures of flour until it was leavened. So you got something really tiny that grows into something big. That's the first image that he's mm-hmm. given to the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things as, as having grown up on the farm and planted things and having uh, being a baker who, who likes to make bread, both of these work slowly, and you can't really see the work happening. And gradually, that's why you have a time-release photos. you ever seen time-release photos of a plant blooming? Mm-hmm. You have to do that because otherwise you can't see it happening. And I was a little kid, I remember ordering those seeds. You know, had these beautiful pictures, you know, and I was going to plant me some watermelon, and I went outside the house, and I planted my seed. And I went out the next day, and they tell me I was four or five years old. I came back in the house, and I was all upset. And they said, "Why?" I said, I didn't get no watermelon. (laughs) And it takes time. Well, I was four four, four years old. That was a lot of time between planting that seed and getting that watermelon. That's the image Jesus is giving here of smallness to largeness The time. The second set, and you skip over then to 44 and 45, as about the treasure in the field, which somebody stumbles on, or then you have the merchant in search of great pearls and he searches. So they're different in the way they find one looks for it. The other stumbles on it. It's almost, it's a spirit, like a spiritual experience. I know of people who, they were never even felt they gave another second thought to God. And then Mm -hmm. they had this moment that of transformation. Other people looked and looked and looked, but wasn't working. And then they found it So each of them comes at it in different directions, but they find it. It's the response that matters. They committed all. They committed all. And you know, some people get a little distracted by the person covering the treasure back up and going, selling, you know, like the cheap, don't get into Victorian morality here, people. This story is not about that. This story is about what does it mean to find, when you find or are found by God, how do you respond and respond is total commitment. Sell all you have and follow me, take up your cross. This is just another part of that. Then this third set, as you move on, uh, 47 through 52, you're looking down here and what you've got is, analogy of the net where it brings all kinds of things in and you've got the householder who brings everything they've got out to show it. The Kingdom of heaven is all sorts of things will be gathered together into the kingdom. Now there is uh, a hint of the separation of the judgment, mm-hmm. but notice we don't do that. It's like last week, the, ang- the, the angels will come and separate. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. And we, is we throw the net and we bring everything in and we don't worry about mm-hmm. the judgment. That's the angel's business. Yep. And so this is the this is two analogies that have to do with everybody's invited, everybody's welcome, everybody's yeah. included. Three things about the kingdom is it works slowly and it's hard to perceive what's going on. You can't predict it. The second one is that you commit yourself totally to it. And the third one is everyone is invited and included.
0: There you go. And I think that's a great exegesis and some good ideas from that text, encouraging words for uh, preachers and pastors. If you haven't yet, probably sooner or later, uh, pastors, you get told by people, well, you know, you're letting the wrong kind of people come into this church, or we're trying to do the wrong kinds of things here. And, you know, just a word of encouragement here. It's again, it's not up to us. We cast in the net, and we ought to be bringing everybody, just like that farmer wastefully sowing seed everywhere. Okay, so, so draw some strength from that. Maybe you don't need to use that as an argument in your next church council meeting, but, uh, you know, wisely use that. Another thing I'll say, partly tongue-in-cheek, is that closing verse is a great preacher verse. Every scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of the household who brings out of his treasure some that's new and some that's old. Hold on to those outlines, preacher, because <laughs> somewhere down the road, they serve us well. And may bring out some old treasure and maybe give it a couple of brushes and uh, dust it up a little bit. Do update your illustrations. Don't be like the pastor I heard preaching one time. And he said, and as we learned in a recent news event, and he quoted some event, and I'm going, that was like 20 years ago. What, you know, what, Update your illustrations.
1: When I was in seminary, I used to commute to school with a guy named Larry Blackwell. He's a pastor in the United Holy Church of America Incorporated, a black Pentecostal denomination. And I went to hear him. Deborah and I went to his church one night and had dinner with he and his wife and then went to his service. And he was preaching and he preached on Joseph. And, uh, his tagline, and I've never forgotten, it's been 40 years. Is watch out how you treat your brothers. You might need them on down the road. <laughs> and I have, I have varied that in the last 20 years to watch out how you treat your sermons. You might need them on down the road. <laughs>
0: uh, there you go. Good advice. All right, Bubba. We've talked a lot today. Uh, hope y'all find a little something. We'll see you next time. Not much left for us to do today. Other than to tell everybody, bye.
1: Everybody bye.
0: Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbas and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Safety Net, performed by Riot. We go out today with When a Man Loves a Woman, written and performed by Percy Sledge.